Chapter One of Explanation of Catholic Morals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenever. Explanation of Catholic Morals by John H. Stapleton. Chapter One Believing and Doing. Morals pertain to right living to the things we do in relation to god and his law as opposed to right thinking to what we believe to dogma dogma directs our faith or belief morals shape our lives by faith we know god by moral living we serve him and this double homage of our mind and our works is the worship we owe our creator and master and the necessary condition of our salvation faith alone will save no man it may be convenient for the easy-going to deny this and take an opposite view of the matter but convenience is not always a safe counsellor it may be that the just man liveth by faith but he lives not by faith alone or if he does it is faith of a different sort from what we defined here as faith viz a firm assent of the mind to truths revealed we have the testimony of holy writ again and again reiterated that faith even were it capable of moving mountains without good works is of no avail the catholic church is convinced that this doctrine is genuine and reliable enough to make it her own and sensible enough too for faith does not make a man impeccable he may believe rightly and live badly his knowledge of what God expects of him will not prevent him from doing just the contrary. Sin is as easy to a believer as it is to an unbeliever. And he who pretends to have found religion, holiness, the Holy Ghost, or whatever else he may call it, and can therefore no longer prevaricate against the law, is, to common-sense people, nothing but a sanctified humbug or a pious idiot. Nor are good works alone sufficient men of emancipated intelligence and becoming breath of mind are often heard to proclaim with a greater flourish of verbosity than of reason and argument that the golden rule is religion enough for them without the trappings of creeds and dogmas they respect themselves and respect their neighbors at least they say they do and this according to them is the fulfillment of the law we submit that this sort of worship was in vogue a good many centuries before the god-man came down upon earth and if it fills the bill now as it did in those days it is difficult to see the utility of christ's coming of his giving of a law of belief and of his founding of a church it is beyond human comprehension that he should have come for naught labored for naught and died for naught and this must be the case if the observance of the natural law is a sufficient worship of the creator what reasons christ may have had for imposing this or that truth upon our belief is beside the question it is enough that he did reveal truths the acceptance of which glorifies him in the mind of the believer in order that the mere keeping of the commandments appear forthwith an insufficient mode of worship besides morals are based on dogma or they have no basis at all knowledge of the manner of serving god can only proceed from knowledge of who and what he is 
Right living is the fruit of right thinking. Not that all who believe rightly are righteous and walk in the path of salvation. Losing themselves, those are lost in spite of the truths they know and profess. Nor that they who cling to an erroneous belief and a false creed can perform no deed of true moral worth and are doomed. They may be righteous in spite of the errors they profess, thanks alone to the truths in their creeds that are not wholly corrupted. But the natural order of things demands that our works partake of the nature of our convictions, that truth or error in mind beget truth or error correspondingly indeed, and that no amount of self-confidence in a man can make a course right when it is wrong, can make a man's actions good when they are materially bad. This is the principle of the tree and its fruits, and it is too old-fashioned to be easily denied. True morals spring from true faith and true dogma. A false creed cannot teach correct morality, unless accidentally, as the result of a sprinkling of truth through the mass of false teaching. The only accredited moral instructor is the true church. Where there is no dogma, there can logically be no morals, save as such human instinct and reason devise. But this is an absurd morality, since there is no recognition of an authority, of a legislator, to make the moral law binding, and to give it a sanction. He who says he is a law unto himself, chooses thus to veil his proclaiming freedom from all law. His golden rule is a thing too easily twistable to be of any assured benefit to others than himself. His moral sense, that is, his sense of right and wrong, is very likely where his faith is, nowhere. It goes without saying that the requirements of good morals are a heavy burden for the natural man, that is, for a man left in the midst of seductions and allurements to the purely human resources of his own unaided wit and strength. So heavy a burden is this, in fact, that according to Catholic doctrine, it cannot be borne without assistance from on high, the very assistance we call grace. This supernatural aid we believe essential to the shaping of a good moral life, for man being destined, in preference to all the rest of animal creation, to a supernatural end, is thereby raised from the natural to a supernatural order. The requirements of this order are therefore above and beyond his native powers, and can only be met with the help of a force above his own. It is labor lost for us to strive to climb the clouds on a ladder of our own make. The ladder must be let down from above. Human airships are a futile invention and cannot be made to steer straight or to soar high in the atmosphere of the supernatural. One half of those who fail in moral matters are those who trust altogether or too much in their own strength and reckon without the power that said, Without me you can do nothing. The other half go to the other extreme. They imagine that the Almighty should not only direct and aid them, but also that he should come down and drag them along in spite of themselves, and they complain when he does not, excuse and justify themselves on the ground that he does not, and blame him for their failure to walk straight in the narrow path. 
they expect him to pull them from the clutches of temptation into which they have deliberately walked the drunkard expects him to knock the glass out of his hand the imprudent the inquisitive and the vicious would have it so that they might play with fire yea even put in their hand and not be scorched or burnt tis a miracle they want a miracle at every turn a suspension of the laws of nature to save them from the effects of their voluntary perverseness too lazy to employ the means at their command they thrust the whole burden on the maker god helps those who help themselves a supernatural state does not dispense us from the obligation of practicing natural virtue you can build a supernatural life only on the foundations of a natural life to do away with the latter is to build in the air the structure will not stay up it will and must come down at the first blast of temptation catholic morals therefore require faith in revealed truths of which they are but deductions logical conclusions they presuppose in their observance the grace of god and call for a certain strenuousness of life without which nothing meritorious can be effected we must be convinced of the right god has to trace a line of conduct for us we must be earnest in enlisting his assistance as if all depended on him and then go to work as if it all depended on ourselves end of chapter 1